You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. It's Heart for the City Sunday, and some of you might be unaware of what that is. Um, That's what I'm here for. Um, we're going to be walking into a few things today, and we've, um, we've done this once before, so this is the second time we've done this as a community. Uh, I'm really pumped about it because every time that we have this service, this opportunity, we get to focus on who we are as a church, why we're here, and what we've been called to in this city. And it's important because we're not any different than any other church in that. that God, <clears throat> excuse me, God has called his church to be a way in this world. And we don't want to find out just what it means to be church untitled. We want to find out what it means to be the church as expressed in church untitled. And so what we get to do today is talk about ecclesiology, the theology of the church, the function of the church in this world. And we all have different theology, so to speak, different ways we think the church should be functioning. But I hope today we can find ourselves in one place. And it may mean that we have to deconstruct some things, which we'll, we'll do in a moment, but it also means we get to build up and place vision where God's calling us to. And this doesn't happen overnight. We're not coming to say, hey, get out your pen and paper, and we're going to give you two sentences about how this needs to function for the rest of your life. No, this is not how God did it either. There's a lot of mystery involved in this, and that's where relationship comes in. It's where His Holy Spirit comes in, and He walks us forward in these things, but He has given us things to go with. And we're going to land on some of those today, and we're going to enter back into the verse that we talked about last Sunday, Isaiah chapter 61. And we're going to read through it and, and land on verse 4. But that being said, if you're new, if you're a guest this morning, Welcome. We're so glad you're here. This is a little bit of a different service for us. And um, tonight is going to be different again. We're going to be doing baptisms tonight. Yeah. And it's going to be amazing in here, just walking with people into new life in Jesus. It's going to be so much fun. Um, We're going to worship again, and we're going to hear a little word on the gospel and um, just go for it. Um, But yeah, so welcome if you're here for the first time. I'm going to be speaking for a few minutes, and I'm going to be inviting Ebony up, and then we're going to respond, and then we're going to worship, and then we're going to close out this service, and we're going to have a great day. So I hope you guys are in for the ride. You guys curious? All right. Isaiah chapter 61. If you didn't hear Vision Sunday last week, just get on our podcast, and you can listen to it there. The year of the Lord's favor, Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. We talked about that last week, how God 
meets us in our brokenness. And as we continue to exchange that brokenness with him, he gives us something beautiful in return. This is the goodness of our God. It's not just the vision for the church, but it's the vision for our lives as the church. And as we're built by God, then we have a beautiful expression of being planted for the display of the splendor of the Lord. This is his goal for your life. This is his promise for your life. This is his vision for your life. And then it says in verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And we're going to land there today. So Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it anchors our hearts and shows us your heart. And we can anchor our hearts to you. We ask today that you illuminate your word to us by your Holy Spirit that it would just sink into our hearts and change our hearts and so in that we submit our hearts to you right now as a church as individuals as leaders as people in this city Lord just continue to shape our hearts around your heart Jesus and Lord just continue to make us beautiful in your presence as we submit our brokenness to you in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, in verse 2, it says something interesting. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Interesting, the day of vengeance of our God. We really didn't touch on that last week. And to comfort all who mourn. And what's particular about this verse, verse 2, Jesus opens this scroll in the New Testament, Right? many, many, many years after this prophecy is given. He opens and he reads verse 1, and then he stops halfway through verse 2. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, this is fulfilled now in your hearing. A lot of commentators, a lot of theologians look at that and they say something. They say, he's announcing his first coming to proclaim his favor. But then there's a second coming. And it's the day of vengeance. It's where he comes back and he sets apart those who are his children and those who are not. It's the second coming of Christ. If this is a new idea for you, we hope to dive into this in future weeks. But it's all there in Scripture that God is coming back for a bride. And this is why Jesus stops there. He says, I'm here to announce that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of grace that I'm bringing myself to this world to show the world who the Father is but then I'm coming back again and it'll be a day of vengeance. And so we have that there and then by implication, it seems as if everything else in the scripture comes with that second coming, right? Because Jesus stops there and we think that it ends there. And sometimes the way that our churches are expressed, I would say maybe 30, 40 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, where it's just, Okay, well, the first half is here. Jesus has come, and we're just going to sit, and we're going to wait until he comes again. It's interesting, right? Because there's some beautiful things that happen after that scripture. I will change your brokenness for something beautiful, and I will establish you, and you will be oaks of righteousness. Is that not in the vision of God for our lives? Is that something that he wants to do now, or is it something that he's going to do later? if we have the theology that it's going to happen later in a moment like this, then we'll just sit back and wait and say, actually, 
It's us and it's them. We've met Jesus and I hope the world meets Jesus. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm in God's favor and you might just receive his vengeance. If you grew up in the church like me, I don't know if it was ever stated as clear as that. But if you did an audit on Christians' lives and if you did an audit on the church, you'd be like, oh, you probably believe that. But there's a beautiful movement now that is happening in the body of Christ that says, no, we're not just going to sit and wait for something to happen. It just might be that God has put himself in us for something to happen. God has a heart for the city. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. And Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, when the Spirit comes, you will, you will, it will be Jerusalem, a city, Judea, a region, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth that he actually has a call on our lives for the city. And so if we're to understand what Jesus is doing in this world, he's establishing his church, not just for the church, but for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. It doesn't say for God so only loved his church. He loved the world to build the church, his bride. So the, 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 the scriptures are clear. Jesus proclaims his kingdom. I've come to establish the kingdom. But the kingdom is here and it's still coming, which means he's made an incredible deposit of what the kingdom is. And he's furthering that kingdom through his church. So there's implications, but not only implications, there's now, now then responsibility for the establishment of the kingdom of God in our city with him and on his behalf. So in verse 4, it says, They, those who receive him this way and are changed and transformed by him, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore and renew the cities. It doesn't say, now that they've been given something, God requests of them and is politely indicating that we should go and do these things. Now that you've received much, now you have the option, if you would like to, go and do It doesn't say that doesn't say that God is pleading with his church to do this. He isn't saying that he's trying to convince us that this is the best thing to do. He's saying they will do this. This will be the overflow of what they've experienced. They can't contain it. They have to give it away. They have to give this to other people. Other people need to know what they've experienced. They will do this. This will be the fruit, something that's naturally occurring out of a life that's been transformed by Jesus. And so if the church is a collection of people, the gathering of people whose lives have been touched and transformed by Jesus, they will rebuild. They will restore and they will renew. Which means if we're going to ask for the heart of God, it means that we have to be the heart of God. Long ago, we said this in our community and it keeps coming up, that the heart of God is learned in intimacy like we just experienced right now. His heart is learned in intimacy and it's calibrated in community. We need the community, the gathering of the saints. We need the small groups. We need the coffees. We need discipleship so that what we're experiencing God can be cal uh, calibrated together so that the, the collective church represents the heart of God. That I'm only gonna get a piece of the heart of God. I'm only part of the body of Christ, but together we are the body of Christ. It's learned in intimacy and it's calibrated in community. Why? So that it can resonate 
throughout the city. It's not just one sound that's coming out, it's a reverberation. It's the, it's the pebble that drops in the pond and it ripples out. Because you touch things that I can't touch and I touch things that you can't touch. You have a personality that I don't have and vice versa, but when God touches us together, we go and we spread out and we touch this city through the unique giftings and the callings that are on your life. It means your life has meaning and your life has purpose when it's found in the heart of God. This is his heart for the church. And so we as a church will set our hearts to rebuilding, to renewing, and to restoring this city. This is what we will do. If you go on our website, the first thing you'll read is we exist to create moments with Jesus that become the movements of Jesus, that we are here to gather in his presence, to assume his heart, and then to be his heart in this city. This is our vision, and this is what it'll always be, to find ourselves in his presence and then to bring his presence. And so this is not something new that we're talking about today. We're just focusing on this today. And I wanna talk about the word revival for a moment. How many of you have your heart set to revival? What does revival even mean? There's three people in this room. I love it. They all were like shy. Like, <laughs> you guys know me enough by now that I might like have some backhand and be like, you should not. Have. I'm just kidding. <laughs> revival. My heart is set to revival. But what does revival look like? I've been around long enough to know that there's been Gold teeth sightings in revival and glory dust falling and glory. Amazing. I've never experienced that myself. And I'm not saying that it's not there and that it isn't part of it. But I want to define revival this way today for all of us here so that when we say it, this is what we mean. People on a mass scale coming alive to the reality of God in their lives coming alive and awake to the reality of God in their lives. It doesn't mean that we have to bring God. This means that we get to expose God. Shine the light of Jesus in this world. That God is already working in the lives of people in this city. All it needs is the people of Christ to walk and say, there's God, there's God, there's God. Heart, come awake, come alive. God is with you and he loves you and he died for you. Believe and start walking in his light. This is what we're here for. And so in that, we're not trying to get the entire city into the church. It's a model that will not work in this city, especially in the downtown core. How many buildings? Do you, well, there's a couple. Let's believe God for that. Rogers Arena, BC Place. Amen. Still not going to fit everybody. That's it's not a big enough vision for this city. There's too many people in this region to say, hey, you're going to encounter God if you get in a church building. Come give your lives to Jesus. I'm implying, but I need you to come to church with me so that it can happen. Rather than let my life display the glory of God that you can't help but give your lives to Jesus as we work together. As you meet me on the streets, as I love you in practicality, as I say, hey, listen, 
If you think there's something special about my life, it's actually Jesus. That we point to him not just with our words, but with our lives, with our deeds. Jesus says they will know you by your fruit. They will define you by your fruit. There's something different. There's something off about your life. What is it? Listen, I didn't do this. My life was broken. Jesus made it beautiful. I'm broken still, but he's still making me more beautiful. And we're called to the city, which means if we're going to see the fruit that God desires in the city that we have to mobilize as a church, we need to know what it means to evangelize in this city. Not the way it was done in a different city, in a different town. What it means right now for this day and age. We have to be creative and innovative enough to know how God wants to do it, but through us. We're not changing God's plan. We're saying, God, how do you want to do it through us? And I suspect, as I've said, that it's not going to happen in this building, although we celebrate when it does. We're not trying to get the entire city into the church, but the entire church into this city. There are people in this room that I celebrate specifically because you live out this call in your life already. You may not be out there on a soapbox with a megaphone, but you're in there in your work day in and day out, displaying the excellence and the glory of God through what you do. And you lay your life down and everybody knows it. No, I'm not going to make that decision or do that thing. Why? Because I appeal to someone above these things. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. Why? Why would you not do that? Wow, because I've submitted myself to someone who has this all in his hands. So last week we talked about not settling in our lives for anything less than God has promised. And so if he's promised fullness of joy to you, I'm not going to settle until we see that and experience it together. Peace that surpasses all understanding. I will not settle until that's my environment. That's the kingdom of God being made manifest in our lives. I will not settle for depression. I will not settle for broken relationships. I will move into the promises of God. And today I'm here to tell you that we as a church will not settle for a mediocre version of our faith. Why? Because our faith has an encounter, right, with God, but it also has an expression. It has something happens to us and something happens through us. I will not settle for anything less than everything that God wants to give me personally, but I will not settle for anything less than everything God wants to give to this city. And I can't wait for someone else to come do it. No one else is coming. He came, empowered his church. We're the ones who are coming. We can't defer responsibility to someone else. The church has done that too, too far, too long. We mobilize. We go. But I don't think it's going to mean just duplicating everything that's been done. We're going to set our hearts to creativity. We're going to set our hearts to innovation. And there's something locked up in you that God wants to uncover and unveil to the world. In you. And as a church, we say this is our identity. And as individuals, we say we're going to walk out our identity. We're not here to build this church. Let that sit for a moment. You're not here to build church on titles. Jesus does that. He says, I will build my church. But we are here to establish his kingdom as the church. 
We need to reorient our lives around what it means to be the church and to live in this city. We're not here to give our lives to build this room or these lights or this sound. That's part of our service to God and to the body of Christ. It's a good thing that we do that. But Jesus is building his church, and it's not a building. The group of people who identify themselves in Christ that gather together, this is his church, and he is building us. But what we are here to do is allow him to establish the kingdom through us. We say amen to that. We aren't here to build a big church. It's not going to work. It's not going to be the thing. It's going to bear some fruit, but I think God wants more fruit. We're not here to build big church, but big people with big lives that point to a good God. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And what if God's design, or I should say this, what's God's design if we didn't have a building and we didn't have a name? Take that out of your perspective for a moment. What if we didn't have a building to gather in? What if no church in the city had a building or a name? What then is God's design? How do we function without these things? But herein lies the truth that we do have a building and we do have a name, but what if we functioned as if we didn't? What if we said it doesn't matter, this is a grace, this is a gift, this is the goodness of God and our government to allow us to meet in a place like this and express ourselves publicly. This is amazing. But what if it goes away? What do we have left? Our individual lives? Yes. But do we have the church? Do we have the body? So why don't we live as if we don't have a building and we don't have a name? We don't have a charity status. We're not loved and accepted within our city. What if we lived like that? What would change in what we do? So we're going to shift gears for a moment. I hope you caught some vision there about where we're going and what we're doing. But here's the thing. It's not going to change anything unless you respond. Unless you say yes to it. Because it's just another guy with a mic on a stage proclaiming something. We need the 110, 120 people that are in here right now to proclaim it the very same thing from the word of God with their own lives. It's going to need your response for this to be anything or go anywhere. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask Ebony to come up and she's going to start talking about some practical things that we're going to move into as a church that we can mobilize in. And we've just talked about what God's going to do through your individual lives. But we also know that God wants to do things through the local church. So it's not an either or, it's a both end. And it doesn't mean that you have to sell one out to do the other. I think vision for one is vision for the other. But we need to know that the church is stronger when we pour in. And it's one of the things that we have to wrestle with in our lives is, are we perpetuating consumer mentality within church? And let me break that down for a moment. One of the things that drives business and capitalism in our world is consumer mentality. How can we get things quicker? How can we get things easier? And how can we get them MX Prime? MX Prime. How can we get them Amazon Prime? That drives business, right? I'm going to go there because I can get it quicker and I can get it cheaper. And I think sometimes we as a church build that way where we make things really comfortable and really convenient. And that's 
That's what we rest on. More people are going to become because less is required of them. That's not the way we're going to be as a church. We're going to put responsibility right out front all the time. We're going to ask for things right out front all the time. We're going to say, this is what God's called us to out front all the time. And if that thins the crowd, let it be. We're not here to build big crowds. We're here to build big people. And so we're going to put this out front all the time. And I hope it shakes us to live in a different rhythm than our world lives. Can't have drive-through church. Can't do it. We can't hop in on a Sunday and then leave it all behind on a Monday. We have to be the church. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.